Hi, this is Nicholas Kwan. And Jacob Peck. And you're listening to I Had No Idea. All right, man. Hello, Jacob. How's it going? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing in the in the worst situation we've ever probably experienced ever in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the pandemic. It certainly beats going to war. Uh, the directive is to stay at home, which is something I feel like I'm very skilled mm-hmm. at. Uh, I'm very comfortable. Yeah, with. me too. So yeah, I, it's heaven for me. Introvert's heaven. I don't mind it. I don't have to ride the TTC anymore. Uh, I, don't, oh, I, don't, right. I don't know if you had any like commuting woes during your regular routine. I haven't ridden the transit in a, in a while. It's been a while. I've, I've been inside. Yeah, uh, I guess like my biggest complaint right now is that like when I go for runs, which, you know, we've had some pretty good days here in Toronto. Yeah. And the beautiful weather is hard to resist sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go for runs, my hair is like whipping my eyes now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that sucks. <laughs> uh so i tie it up all the time like back when uh, i was a barista i don't know if you remember that when i had my my top knot yes i do remember your sexy samurai yeah like that look yeah my sexy samurai i actually look way more japanese now than i did back then with my beard and everything yeah you should you should focus on that look i like it looks very good on you (laughs) thanks man really all right all right the hair's getting your eyes then uh just just cut your own hair man honestly uh i am thinking of growing it right now so i might i might not we'll okay. see uh, either way not super comfortable cutting my own hair i don't know like I, I feel like because of coronavirus i'm discovering everyone knows how to cu- cut their own hair except me <laughs> yeah it's a good i feel like barbers are gonna go out of business after this the, this oh. incident no one needs barbers yeah i don't know I, I feel like there would be government support uh but i don't know too much about uh those kinds of i guess businesses <laughs> yeah anyways um, what I'm talking about today, Jacob, it's based on an observation that I made, uh, I guess earlier this year. So I've been watching like every single Toronto Raptors game this season, uh, almost every single one. If I, oh, if I missed it, it's because I was like out or busy or something. Right. And after watching just like that many Toronto Raptors games, I think we played like what? 60 games. It's like 60 of them. You just, yeah, get... we, were pa- we were past halfway this season. Yeah. Yeah. You just get really annoyed by the fact that every single day or every single night that the rappers play, the commercials are exactly the same. It's like, it doesn't change. It's just Siakam going, hey, Google. (laughs) And then like, and then the Jif peanut butter ones with Van Vliet and Siakam. Uh, there's like the Popeyes one, which is actually kind of racist. It's just like, it's a a little racist, just a a little bit. Black lady. Yeah, just a black lady trying to get people watching basketball to oh, buy gosh. deep fried chicken. Yeah. But the one that really stuck out to me, actually, were the Tangerine Bank commercials. Right. And they always, yeah, they intrigued me because I don't know if you're familiar with the commercial at all, but it kind of like takes you through no, I don't have cable, the so... quickest history. Oh, like I, I watch half of the games on stream just because of uh, the access that I have to sports channels as well. Oh, yeah, I have like limited okay. cable, whatever. Okay. Anyways. Right, right. Yeah, The so the commercial, it starts off with this like renaissance, renaissance painting, uh, presumably of like the first bank ever. And the narrator is all like, this is the world's first bank. This is money. 
you know, that's forward banking from <laughs> Tangerine. You know, <laughs> that's pretty, that's yeah. basically the commercial. Right. But I guess what really intrigued me about the commercial is that they show you that painting of the first bank ever. And then that got me thinking, how did the first bank ever like even come to be? Oh, okay. And I okay. thought, yeah. And I thought that was a fascinating question because, you know, in theory, the idea of a bank in like a bankless world right. is kind of a strange concept. Yes. Yeah, you're basically lending money to strangers who you don't really necessarily have trust with. Right, right. And on the flip side, you're entrusting your money uh, to, uh, to a bank, you know, as a, as a regular consumer. You're trusting yeah. that bank to hold your money for you. Right, right. Because you don't have like a safe in your home. Yeah, and this and is you're not like, like an ancient person. Right, this is not like in the world of technology where there's like institutions and so... You can't even like, yeah, if someone right. takes your money, they can run. That's it. That's right. But then, you know, what, what made a bank different at that time? You know, what, you know, what made, right. what made anybody trust that first bank? So exactly. I really wanted to like dig yeah, in. A good question. Yeah. I wanted to dig in into like what that was all about and, you know, what the first bank was, uh, maybe get into the history okay. of money. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Any, any, yeah, like about- anything with origin, like origin stories are always great. Love that. Yeah. 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 Well, what's your topic, man? So story time. So about two weeks ago. My mom comes home and she tells me that uh, she ran into one of her uh, neighbors who was carrying this huge bundle of tissue boxes. And as you know, naturally, um, yeah, you know, because of the virus, the neighbor who was clearly disgruntled was like, man, because of this virus, people are stocking up and all the toilet paper is gone. And so I have to settle with Kleenex. And so she comes home. She tells me, me and my mom, we have a good chuckle about it. And so, yeah, like you said, obviously, toilet paper is the hottest commodity, not by choice. Um, (laughs) And I've been even reading uh, articles that there are people stealing from like eBay and Amazon purchases. Like they'll order the toilet paper and it'll just get, it'll just never come to their house. It'll right. never get delivered to their home. Right. I, I, I kind of appreciate this that. Is, yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I also really like the fact that a lot of hoarders, you know, with the intention of reselling those like sanitary products like toilet paper, Lysol, wipes and all that. Yeah, they can't resell it because right. all the all right. the sites are cracking down on reselling of those items, which I love. I um, love. So all this toilet paper talk got me wondering about the history of toilet paper. And I had me asking, what did people wipe their butts with before toilet paper? And so I'm gonna dive into that. Mm, leaves. Yeah. It's leaves. Yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll figure it we'll we'll see. We'll see. I reckon different cultures <laughs> had different solutions to this uh, messy and smelly problem. So we'll see. Cool. I'm looking so, forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. With that said, um, we are going to go into um, a time of doing our respective research. We'll be back with you after this sponsor message. This episode is brought to you by Circle Space, the only place in Toronto that gives you spaces in circle form. Get 10% off your first purchase when you are the first 25 customers to call in and use the code I had no idea. That's circlespace.com slash I had no idea. Circlespace.com slash I had no idea. Customer service is always a drag, right? But not with Circle Space when it's 24-7 and you can call an agent when you're in dire need for a space that is a circle. Circle space. <laughs> we, we definitely need real sponsors, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds nice, right? I mean, we're, we're getting desperate here and delusional. <laughs> At least we get a good chuckle out of it. Yeah. And right. we are back. Yes, sir. Do you want to go? Uh, you want to go up? first? I feel like I've been going first a lot. So why don't you go first this time? 
You have been going first a lot, so <laughs> I will take the reins over this episode. Awesome. And I feel like you do the like you do everything else. You do like the transitions. You do the outro. You just did the fake sponsor message. Yeah, you're like you're becoming like the face of this podcast. I'm sorry, bro. This was your idea too. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, that's just me being lazy. Okay, so I want to take us back to explain where the first bank came from, where money came from. I want to go back all the way to the agricultural. <laughs> Why? It sounds like a, sounds like a lot of fun, uh, bro. No, trust me, it is. It is. Yeah, it'll be fascinating for you. I hope. Okay. All right. <laughs> so when humanity discovers how to grow their own food, as opposed to hunting and gathering, okay. it enabled those people to sit in one place. Uh, it was more efficient than hunting and gathering. It was safer. And mm-hmm. this gave ancient peoples a lot of extra time to do other activities, such as right. crafting, building, sewing. You know, I, you thought you said, I thought you said crapping. Crapping? Well, <laughs> no, well, that's more your topic. I won't overstep. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, not that I knew that going into this. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, so this was also the beginning of communities, which enabled people to live dependently on one another. Oh, that's so nice. So, yeah, individuals suddenly didn't have to know how to do everything on their own to survive. Right. Uh, this allowed people to diversify in their skills, you know, what whatever it was, and create goods and services for others in exchange for other people's goods and services. Right. And this first kind of trading was called bartering. And it simply mm-hmm. meant what I just described. So trading right. a good or service for an agreed upon equivalent good or service. Right. So, for example, uh, if we were ancient people, Jacob, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a dozen fish, I might go to you and be like, hey, I'll give you these dozen fish if you sew me a shirt, just as right. an example. Right. And if you agree to that, then that's that's a barter. We did and I think, uh, I think I would. I think I would have an easier time making a nice shirt for you than for fishing for 12 fish. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like what? Like, you know, a good three, four days of sashimi for a shirt? Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Bad. I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, so this bartering system, it likely originated around 6,000 BC uh, in Mesopotamian tribes. Okay. And even in this time, lending was definitely still a concept, but not formalized. So the problem with this system, though, was that it was like completely based on trust. So if you were lending me something yeah. or letting me borrow something, I, I you could be like really aggressive with me. And be like, I want that thing back right now, and I want interest, and I want this much interest, and you mm. could even like make up whatever you said, right? And as a borrower, I could also totally take off and bail on you, right. and you would never see me again, right? And I just stole all, whatever you gave me, right, uh, right, right? So it was a very unreliable, unsafe system. And isn't that uh, kind of sad? Problem, isn't that that's kind of sad, right? The problem is, is that kinda, they don't like they don't trust each other. Well, if only they just trusted each other. Yeah, but you know what? You know what are you gonna do? That's how people are. Look, I I I'm watching Tiger King during this whole self isolation uh, thing, yeah. And yeah. people in that documentary are crazy. It's kind of like you get a glimpse into like the darkest parts of humanity and and, oh. and like human nature. Yeah, and it almost makes you feel like, you know, since humans are just like wired, or like some humans are just wired to be that way. It's very unfortunate. Yeah, Anyways, I'm yeah. I'm digressing. <laughs> Yeah. 
They're really crazy. You should watch it if you haven't, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm talking you to you and you our recommend, listeners. Yeah, you recommended me Tiger King and the community's back on Netflix, so gotta check that out. Yeah, it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, by the way, so don't don't take this as like a good review. I'm just saying that the characters are very interesting. <laughs> so the other problem with bartering, though, was that this was an option limited to pairs of people who happen to fulfill each other's needs. Right. So if we go back to the example before with the shirt and the fish, uh, let's say you, Jacob, you were the one who can sew a shirt. Um, yeah. But let's say you were looking for something other than fish. Yeah, like I'm a, all I had was fish. Yeah, but I'm a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for whatever reason yeah. in that time you're a vegan. I can only, like, I can only you, broccoli you and the... some seeds, no fish. Yeah, you had the luxury of really picking what you want to eat <laughs> in that time. Well, that's how good my shirts are. So I can... <laughs> You're balling. Yeah. Basically Zara. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you didn't want fish, you would not trade with me. Okay. But yeah, what if I was really the only one in that village with food for some reason? Right. Or say fish was what you wanted, but you thought that my 12 fish was not worth your shirt for whatever reason. Right. You were like, yeah, I would do it if you had 14, 15 fish, but I don't have it. Mm. Suddenly, we don't have a deal. Right. And this is when, uh, this was when early money was introduced. Okay. So basically, there was a, a desire to create a universal currency mm. so that people no longer had to be transactionally compatible, if you want to put it that way. Right. And depending on the time period and region, uh, humans have used shells, barley, feathers, salt, even like whale teeth. And these all became tradable commodities at some point, which could be used in exchange for any good or service. Right. And you might think, problem solved. But no. Uh, the problem with trading strictly with commodities is that none of these commodities alone passed as you know, what we would consider as a good currency today. Right. So, for example, salt is just crazy heavy to lug around. Yeah. It's really hard to be rich on salt. Yeah. Barley can rot on you. So, right. you have like your money expires after right. a while. Right, right, right. Uh, whale teeth are like extremely difficult to divide. You know, what's the value of one whale teeth? What if I thought your object or your service was worth only half a whale tooth? Right. I don't know. Right. Yeah, and with shells, for example, you, you could just go to any beach and find a bunch of them. Yeah. So should someone be considered rich just because they made a recent trip to the beach? Right, if they went out of their way and yeah. got some shells, and fortunate for them, yeah. That's right, that's right. So it was really problematic. It wasn't like a real economy. Right. So for money or a currency to be effective, it needs all five of the following qualities. First, it needs to be legitimized. So it needs to be universally acknowledged as something of value, especially by like some sort of governing body. Sure. Second, it needs to be difficult to forge or counterfeit. Right. Third, it needs to be durable. Fourth, it needs to be portable. And finally, fifth, it needs to be easily divisible. Okay. And this is when precious metals, uh, not coins, just precious metals, mm -hmm. became the most popular form of currency around 5000 BC onwards. Okay. And this was the case for perhaps, you know, 2000 years, estimates put it. Mm-hmm. And if we fast forward all the way, uh, three, yeah, 3,000 years forward, Mesopotamian tribes eventually develop into what historians consider to be the first real civilization, such as Babylonia. Okay. And with that comes humanity's first code of law, 
Do you remember your history class, Jacob? Do you remember what that was called? Uh, no, I do not. But if you say, I might, I might remember it. Gotcha. Uh, it was called the Code of Hammurabi. Oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World history. So this Code of Hammurabi gets written in 1754, and among other things, it contains laws around lending, interest rates, and even insurance. Okay. So what happens yeah, in the yeah. event of a disaster to that to that person? Mm. And on top of all of this, we arguably see the world's first banks. The world's first banks were actually temples. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, as I mentioned before, ancient homes, they obviously didn't have big metal safes. And some goods just took up too much space on personal property, right. such as your livestock, for example. Right, right, right. And temples also had the benefit of being like a holy place, right? With like a hopefully back, trustworthy. Yeah, back place. in the ancient times, um, people valued like they prioritized that religious living. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was actually casually reading through the Code of Hammurabi just because. Yeah, that's how cool I am. <laughs> and there were actually like laws for people working in the temple. They weren't allowed to even take a sip of alcohol. It specifically mentions you're not allowed to be at a bar. Right. Right. Wow. So I thought that was, yeah, that, that, that was like indicative of the times. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like those rules still exist today for uh, a lot of, a lot of religions. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, maybe it's not like just an ancient thing anyway. Mm. Anyways. Yeah. So these temples, they were trusted because they had this priest who is supposed to be like holy, devout. And there was also a priest on site at all times. Okay. So it, it was kind of like the safest option at the time. And this is also why you would also find temples like often getting ransacked whenever there was like an ancient military invasion of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was the case across all kinds of regions and across ancient history. Uh, temples were treated like banks today. Oh. So these priests, uh, like I said, they tended to be the bankers and they also had the power to decide who received the loans. Mm -hmm. They actually tended to make grain loans to the poor. So okay. like a borrower could come in and, you know, get a bunch of seeds, for example, and they'd usually be able to take those seeds, plant it in their farms. And then when it comes to harvest time, they'd be able to pay back the temple by giving a portion of their grain. Okay. And that was, so this, it's not like really a bank because like banks today, I feel like they're pretty ruthless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This they don't really care like, about, and you can't even get like seeds if you're poor. Like, you have to yeah, get a certain so, quota. Yeah. That's right. So this was more of like a socialist type of bank. We'll put it that nice. way. Nice. So let's for fast forward again when the first coins were being minted. It's now 600 BC. Wow. And in a kingdom called Lydia, which is Western Turkey today, mm -hmm. the people there were minting the first coins. Nice. And these coins were made from a mixture of gold and silver called electrum. So they had intrinsic value. And coins, they solved three main economic problems. First, it solved all those problems I mentioned earlier with commodities. So... Minted coins are legitimized, difficult to forge, right. durable, portable. portable, and easily divisible. Nice. Second, in a world ever increasing in complexity and in the sheer number of transactions, coins really simplified the economy for everybody. Mm. It also created like this standard which to value goods and services by. Right. So you, you could finally say something like, yeah, you know, that shirt that Jacob sews it's worth five coins mm. and everyone knows that that's the value of a shirt right. generally. Right. And finally, it made it really easy for leaders to charge people taxes in exchange for government. 
Mm-hmm. And that solved that problem because, you know, they could only take so many chickens and cows and goats before it was like, okay, we don't really want them anymore. Right. Yeah, you don't know what to do with all that. So this made Lydia really powerful, really easy to trade with. And yeah, everyone wanted good to do, yeah, everyone wanted to do business in Lydia. And after right. seeing how well Lydia did with coins, everyone else started following suit. And during this time, temples were still largely the closest thing the world had to a bank. Right. Until we go to ancient Rome. And this is when Julius Caesar, he rises to power in 46 BC. And one of the most important things he does is he moves banking out of the temples and he creates a distinct institution for banks. And if, if you were to ask a historian or a lot of historians, they would actually consider ancient Rome to be the inventors of the first banks. Wow. And much, yeah, much like today, these banks were involved with most legitimate commerce and almost all government spending. Caesar also borrowed an ancient Greek idea by tying debt to collateral. So just like a quick history lesson here, uh, a lot of nobles got away with just pushing their debt or ignoring their debt to the point where the next generation will have to handle it from there. So they could be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to pay my debt right now. I'm actually going to get my son or my daughter to take care of that for you. Right. And then that son or daughter grows up and they're like, yeah, we're, we're not paying that right now. Then, you know, my offspring will take and care then of that. Just, and that, that kind of just keeps cycling. And then, then, yeah, yeah. it went on forever. Oh, but I... then Caesar was like, we can solve this problem if we just tied debt to collateral. Right. So basically, if we just put a time limit on it and said, if you don't pay it or default on the loan, then I get to take your home. Something like that. That works. That, that, that was pretty much it for banks, but I wanted to end this discussion on money and banks by ending on paper currency because I feel like you can't end a conversation on money without mentioning paper yeah, currency. Yeah, yeah, where the bills come in, right? <laughs> the bills, yeah, the Benjamins. <laughs> the Benjamins, yeah. So paper currency, it was introduced around 600 years later in 7th century China. Uh-huh. Um, oh, it, China. But it wouldn't be popularized. Yeah, China's balling. Oh. They're always thinking about money, those guys. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, so That's a little be, racist. Uh, popularized though. Was it? Was it? Was it not? Oh, I don't well, know. Maybe that was a compliment. I don't know. Was it a compliment? Ah, uh, whatever. Uh, Asians, we're all Asian. It's okay. Oh, that's true. I don't. I don't hate Chinese people. It'd be ridiculous if I hated Chinese people. I grew up in Markham. <laughs> and if you don't know Markham, it's uh, this little town. It's Chinatown. North it's China. It's Toronto. a real Chinatown. Whoa! Now that is that racist? Is, is that racist? But yeah, you know what? I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like though that everyone has like a different standard of racist is like I I don't even know if that's racist to be honest. To be honest, yeah, that could be offending somebody. Yeah, we lost we lost another listener. Yeah. We tend to do that every episode. It's okay. Anyways, I feel like I should go back to paper currency and start over. So paper currency introduced in seventh century China. And paper money, it was also called representative currency because this money obviously didn't have much intrinsic value like coins did. So what did determine their value? Well, they were tied to something that you might have heard of called the gold standard. And this is basically governments and banks promising that your paper currency had equivalent value in the weight of gold and silver. And if the government and banks are backing the value of your paper currency, that gives that paper value as an economic unit because they're willing to give you X amount of gold for that paper thing. So everybody else right. can be like, okay, yeah, I accept that paper currency um, as, as payment. Right. And finally, I kind of wanted to end on like a very interesting note. 
uh, and it's how China prevented counterfeiting. So how did counterfeiting get prevented in the ancient world? Right. Or in the seventh century in China? Yeah, yeah. Well, according to Marco Polo, uh, who visited much later after the invention of paper currency, five hundred years later in twelve seventy one A.D. He reported that the Chinese emperor at the time had a very good handle on the money supply, and he said it's because there was an inscription on every bill. So an inscription, like if, if you look at an American bill, it says "In God We Trust," but the Chinese people they had an equivalent inscription that said, "Those who are counterfeiting will be decapitated." Wow, <laughs> and that's well, <laughs> and that's all it said. Well, that works. I don't know. I don't know if it worked. I, I'd be personally too scared to try it. Uh, I don't even yeah. know how I, I would it, go it about would work. It would work for me, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I like my head. I want to keep it. Uh, no amount of money will solve that problem for me if I lost my head. Right. So, yeah, uh, I just thought that was interesting um, since, you know, throughout most of modern history, we've used paper money. I mean, like everything is digital now and it's like a whole new world. Right. But, you know, overall, I thought it was really cool just to see how, you know, the form of money, it changed over time. And it was really the product of humanity just trying to solve the problems that they had. Nice. And I thought that was really interesting. Oh, yeah, man. man. Yeah, that, that was, was my really topic. cool. Yeah, I, I have a question. About it. I probably I don't know if you'll be able to answer it but i always wondered like you know old bills yeah do they just like is it like a wear and tear thing or do we like continue to produce fresh bills no that's always about keeping up with counterfeiting technology so as technology advances it becomes easier and easier to make copies of paper money so every iteration uh of paper money like in canada we've had like what five updates in the last 20 years it feels like when we had that like yeah. old paper bill since the beginning of Canada, yeah. it's kind of strange. Anyways, right. it's because every time we change it because every time we're we're trying to prevent counterfeiting more and more, and we're adding new security oh. features. We're adding like the glass window. We're adding like the shiny stripes or uh, the bumps on the money. Oh. You know, like things that are very hard to replicate on the counterfeiting machines yeah. of whatever time period. Cool, man. What you got? Uh, my topic was on the history of butt wiping. We can't exactly pinpoint the exact dates of what different countries and different cultures use to wipe their butts, but we can get a general timeline. Shall we take a walk through butt wiping memory lane? Nicholas, are you ready? That's my favorite street. Let's go. <laughs> if we start as far back as the Stone Age, dating back to 3 million years ago and ending in 2000 BC, well, I'm sure you can guess because the name of the era kind of just gives it away. What they use to wipe their butts. Stones? Yeah. They use stones. Are you saying they wipe their butt with stones? Like, yes. how is that even a solution? Stones were the go-to object. You poop, you grab a stone, you wipe away. So... More realistically, it's probably, they, they scratch and they scuff their buttholes, if anything. So I was actually wrong uh, about the leaves. Yeah, that's... Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, that, those weren't the first... Uh, yeah, that wasn't the first contraption to be used on I'm your butt. I'm shook. Yeah. Also, um, that's when they first introduced yeah. hemorrhoids. Well, I'm just joking. It's not the first time, but <laughs> definitely time. that's when hemorrhoids became way more popular. <laughs> it was the thing. It was It was weird to not have one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fast forward to 800 BC, and we are in ancient Greece. Pesoi and Ostraka were used. Pesoi were small stones. Again? That's not that's not an improvement at all. They just yeah. decrease the size. Okay. 
Let's keep going. Yeah, so so it is an improvement. Um, and Ostraka were ceramic. <laughs> so the same material we use for <laughs> flower pots and, you know, bathtubs and stuff like that. And a toilet. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems like Greece seemed to care a lot and even excel at things like math, philosophy, science. But when it came to butt stuff, they just missed the mark entirely. It's ironic because I feel like ancient and... Greece is specifically known for their butt stuff. But okay, let's go on. <laughs> the same can be said about their butt wiping process. They believed in frugalness and had a proverb that communicated that three stones were enough to wipe your bum. <laughs> no way! And, and, and I guess that depends on what you ate. Maybe they, I don't know, they flipped the stone. Flip it over a little bit. Yeah, they double dipped. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, you would have had a tough time in that era. Yeah, I know I how much toilet paper you yeah, use. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I use a lot of toilet paper. Actually, yeah, far less like, now. Far less now, I've been taking a lot more probiotics. And so like uh, these days, like for the past month, I wipe and no stain, man. Yeah, I feel like you've been it's in incredible. coronavirus mode though since like 2010. <laughs> That's my thought. <laughs> You're right. I've been just stacking up on toilet paper. Yep. The stock's gone up because of me. <laughs> Funny thing was some of these Pesoy relics had been discovered. Um, and these stones had inscription of uh, names on them, making experts believe that this was a way to insult your enemies. Oh, that's the best. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, um, it was kind of like you wipe your stone. I mean, you wipe your bum with these stones and you're soiling your enemy's name. <laughs> I would need awesome. like eight of those things. <laughs> <Easily>. <laughs> you need to make more friends and they get less enemies. <laughs> hey, if you're on the right track, you make some enemies on the way, okay? That is That's true. That's how I feel about it. Now, around that same time, ancient Rome were using an item called a tersorium. This item was essentially a sponge on a stick. Okay. In order to sanitize this contraption, they would soak it in vinegar, mix it with water, oh, and sometimes th- not vinegar, but sometimes salt. Okay. Um, and that's not even the gross part. The gross part is that they would all share this gadget. <laughs> it was a communal experience. <laughs> a communal, <laughs> like a family moment. Yeah, yeah. They stop for a Only painting. If you were up. <laughs> Only if you were of higher authority would you get your own tersorium. But if you were a peasant, which most of them were, tough luck. Oh, boy. And this often led to urinary infections. Just give me the stones again. <laughs> I wonder what, like, bathroom etiquette was. Hey, like, you go first. I'll go after you. <laughs> you clean that? <laughs> I told you I didn't want hairs on it afterwards. <laughs> Fast forward to East Asia, 700 AD. They used sticks. Just sticks? So Like, I, they got I, rid of the sponge? Yeah, I guess it... Yeah, basically. <laughs> I guess it wasn't wiping, but more of a picking and scraping off the excrements. Uh, but thanks to these sticks um, that they found in latrines, which is basically an outhouse, um, they were able to figure out what kind of food East Asians ate. Okay. If you go on Wikipedia and type in SH asterisk T stick, yes, that's the actual name of the page, you can expand your East Asian butt wiping philosophy. A little racist. But hey, if it's on Wikipedia, it's legit. I will definitely do that afterwards. That's very important information. (laughs) (laughs) Um, During the colonial times, the 1700s, guess what they used to wipe their butts? 
Oh, man. Uh, the colonial period. Mm, uh, leaves. Leaves. I'm going back to leaves. Yeah, yeah. Leaves. Um, Actually? Yeah, leaves were, were one of the options. Also, uh, straws, like bundles of straws, like soft straws that horses ate. Well, I guess that's hay, <laughs> okay. but you get straws, you wipe your butt. Uh, but the most popular option, imagine you're downing a nice dinner, some chicken, some bread, some carrots, some corn, and then taking your finished corn cob and using that to clean yourself. Oh, what? That's so weird. Yeah, I, I think, but I think they use it because it has that like soft brush like attribute like toothbrushes have and you have that 360 uh, access. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I could see people enjoying that little tickle. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> As paper became more of a prominent item, people started to use old newspapers or papers from catalogs to wipe their butts. Some catalogs even came with holes in the corners so that they could hang their catalogs on the wall for an easy read and immediate access to wiping. Nice. Kind of like today. I don't know. What? what? You still wipe your butt? <laughs> no, like like they were putting the paper on the walls and we, we kind of just mounted beside our toilets. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought... I, I, <laughs> I thought that I thought you were like, yeah, do you need some toilet paper? Like, I can send you some. <laughs> yep, that's me. People started, people started uh, patents for toilet paper in the late 1800s, but it was the early 1900s where the toilet paper revolution started. They started advertising splinter-free toilet paper, and this changed everything. Oh my god! Amer- Americans could wipe their butt in comfort and without pain from here on out. Wet wipes came out in the 1950s. But they weren't using for um, they weren't used for butt wiping. That wasn't their original purpose. The original wet na- wet nap was sold to KFC. It was for wiping down your fingers after downing a delicious bucket of chicken. That is so ironic, considering the whole finger licking good thing. Like you would think that they would want their customers to lick the flavor or the what is it eleven earthy yeah, spices yeah, off their fingers. Yeah, yeah. and like um, COVID because of the COVID nineteen virus. KFC has, as of right now, suspended that slogan, <laughs> which I just think is really hilarious. okay. Yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hygiene germs. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until the nineties. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I love how like out of all the things that they thought could contribute towards like hygiene and good good hand hygiene, it was that marketing slogan. That's that's great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Also, why why didn't version 1.0 of toilet paper come splinter free? Like that should have been like a given. Yeah, I know, right? It wasn't until the 90s where wet naps started to become more popular. Uh, it's a little late, but uh, you know, better late than never. Most of it was for baby bottoms, but nowadays adults are using nice. them too. I always use wet naps, right? Um, for your bottom? If I don't have access to them, yeah, for my bottom. But if I don't, I'll always wet my toilet paper before wiping my bum. Oh, interesting. Uh, I have actually never yeah, it, done that, but I feel like now I'm in the minority. Because if your poop is messy and you only wipe, truthfully, it's a little nasty. It's like, you know, having a spaghetti sauce, so- like marinara sauce on your arm and then using a Kleenex to wipe it. <laughs> it's it's not going to clean it. It's going to spread, right? And so the, if, if the right, Kleenex right. is dry, mm. your poop will spread. And it doesn't help. I'm revolting. And it doesn't help uh for some of us who have like hair on our bum they just even messier oh my god you have you are making so many good points right now yeah so i i always gotta have my wipes you are so you you are such royalty about toilet etiquette i love it it's just it's this feeling like it's just yeah you just gotta feel clean you know that's what it is 
Uh, maybe I'm just particular about that. Can you believe we've only had sixty years of toilet paper and wet naps? No, that's that, like it was probably yeah, that's crazy. I I, yeah, I, was, I can't believe that it wasn't around sooner. To be honest, yeah, it was. It's weird to think that it was common to just have a painful butthole. <laughs> just common, you know. <laughs> yeah, how did you could never look forward to your poops? Ah, uh-huh. yeah, they, you're right. Yeah, how did people like invent cool things and discover things with painful buttholes? That's impressive to yeah, me. I don't, I don't know. I would be very distracted. Maybe uh, tr- trial and error, trial and error. Or maybe people had better things to do, like, you know, making banks. <laughs> that's right. I think that's all that I have. I uh, just want to add that there is still nothing better than hopping in the shower and just going in there with your hand and getting getting it all out. As nasty as that sounds. <laughs> but if you can't nothing do that. Better. <laughs> if you can't do that, just get yourself. <laughs> so what does Nick, I know what you're thinking, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that goes to my title. Hope you learned something about butt wiping. It was, this was fun. Yeah, I think I'm more of a corn on the cob tickling my butt sort of guy. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm inspired to try, you know, the sponge on the Ooh. stick thing, you know? <laughs> Put some butter on that. Yo. <laughs> You're nasty, bro. Yeah, I'm nasty. All right. Cool, All man. Right. You want to sign off for us here? Yeah, this concludes this week's episode. Thank you for sticking with us and taking a trip with us down bank and butt wiping memory lane. <laughs> if you want to um, leave some comments for us, make sure to do so on our Instagram on IHadNoIdea.podcast. You can follow us there or you can hit us up on email. IHadNoIdea.podcast at gmail.com. Now, I feel, yeah, I feel good about this episode, Jacob. I feel like people are passionate about butts and we care about butts. Yeah, no one will should. care about the banking thing, but butts, yes. <laughs> and everyone has a butt. <laughs> That's true. That's right, so it applies to everyone here. Nice. Yeah. Well, if you didn't know, and if you had no idea, now, now you, you do. do. Solid. Did you say it? Yeah, I think I did. Okay, all right, nice. <laughs> <laughs>